You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. how my morning started out like um we were joking last night with friends that were sleeping over that uh you know this furnace that we have in the house is really old and uh at, at some point it's going to pack up well guess what this morning <laughs> when i woke up at five o'clock it's like 45 degrees inside and i'm thinking like oh my goodness and if you like I, I know you guys are all really prepared but um i, I kind of have this thing where can't really settle a message until the morning, you know, kind of, I've got to really like then meditate on it and pray into it, and so I come from way south where it's much warmer, and um, it's hard to concentrate when you're cold, so anyway, Lynn told me, please don't be too serious, I'm going to endeavor to take her good advice, okay, so what I did do is I thought like if anything else goes wrong, I'll print out notes, because you just never know, okay, all right, okay, so um, even as I share a word this morning, I, th- I think Christmas is, it's, it's like kind of one of those preachers where it's very hard to go into um, a, a preach time and hear something that you haven't heard before. Um, anyone relate to what I'm saying? It's like, h- how many ways can you slice and dice Christmas? Okay, because fundamentally, the Lord came into the world and, and everything changed. So how many know that it was probably the most significant event in human history? How do we know that? Even the date system that we use is before Christ and after Christ. In fact, when you write the date today or sometime in the new year, you're going to write 2020 or 2021, what you're really doing is you're confessing the most significant event that ever happened to the fallen race of Adam that is lost in sin is that God stepped into our reality. Okay? It's the most amazing thing. So the world kind of tends to forget that, but... um, it's interesting to me that when you read scripture, when you, we, we've kind of anesthetized ourselves to the reality of what Christmas is all about, and we don't have to celebrate that Jesus maybe wasn't born particularly on December the 25th, but that he came into the world is fact, okay? So the date's actually relevant. What is important is, how did they know 2,020 years ago that this wasn't just some other baby, but he was, in fact, the Christ. Because, see, the Lord is coming again. And it's written somewhere in Scripture that it'll be as in the days of Noah. Men will go about their business. They'll be given and taken in marriage. But then the judgment will come. And so many people were not in a position to receive Christ when he came the first time. And so I guess if ever there is something which we can take away from Christmas, it's like, if he comes again, how will I know? Will I be ready? And so Christmas to me is really the story of how God stepped into our reality from the time of Adam until the time of Christ, we as people were alienated from God. It did not matter how much we pursued him. In a sense, it was always this distance. Like our sin kept us apart from him. And there was no way we could overcome it. Because the word says there's, there's no one that's righteous. Like really no one that meets God's standard. And is able to live forever. 
And so God took things into his own hand. And if you read um, John's gospel and um, read what they call the prologue, the first 18 verses, it, it kind of puts it into context. What, what is the context for Christmas? All right. And I've got about five different verses that I'm going to read to you. And, and maybe there's a, a little framework we can analyze um, these different passages, these five passages. How did people encounter Christ? How did they know? All right? And what was their response? And so, so the first point that I put is like, every one of us in a sense is in a place of expectation. What is your expectation? Where are you positioned at this point in time? And then the second one is, um, if you are in a place of expectation, it's, it's natural, it's, it's, it's logical that there would be a time of encounter. Okay? And so, what does your encounter look like? We'll see from Scripture what it looked like for the people in the time of Jesus. And then, even as we go and look and process that, it's like just this idea of those that wait upon the Lord. And I just want to put it in your mind, because I believe there are very few people in our generation that really wait upon the Lord. Okay, we say we do, you know, and we, we kind of give lip service to it. But if you actually look at the, the, the most important thing in our lives, very few of us would be able to say, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And so these passages, I believe, will encourage us, they will challenge us, and they will shake us, because he is coming again. And so in John's gospel, from verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. Everything that was created was created through him. Nothing that was made was made without him. And then it says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And it says the light was shining in the darkness, and the darkness has never overcome the light. Then it says there's a man sent by God, and his name was John. And he was not the light. He came to testify about the light. The light that was coming into the world so that whoever would receive him could believe. And when the light came into the world, it's recorded that though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And then he came to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Born not of human decision or parents' will or the plans of a father, but born of God. The word became flesh and he lived amongst men. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's how John's prologue starts. But you see a few things there that kind of jump out at me. The whole world was made through him, yet the world didn't recognize him. Okay? If you look at our generation and our time, that's probably true for us. Who recognizes God, even though the whole world was made through him? And then the scary part is he comes to his own people, those to whom the law was given. Those to whom all the, all the instructions of Moses were given. And in fact, they were waiting for a Messiah. They were prepped and ready for one who would deliver. And when he came, they did not receive him. 
kind of, a, you know, as I read through this um, and, and think about it, to me, the challenge is, that was true of the Jews. Were they less diligent than we are? Were they less religious than we are? Were they dumber than we are? You know, that they could really miss it? And I believe, no, they were people just like us. And if it could happen to them, it can happen to us. And so the Lord is coming again. Most people live as if he's not coming again. Most people live as if it's for themselves. So let's look at the examples that we, we see in Scripture. Um, the first one I'm going to take is Elizabeth and baby John. And the references here would be Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Luke chapter 1, 39 to 45. To me, this is one of the most interesting ones. Um, if you look at the account... Here you have Elizabeth, all right? Elizabeth is pregnant, six months about. She has a baby in her womb. And if you remember the words that were spoken about um, Elizabeth um, and the baby John, was that he would be full of the Holy Spirit from when he was conceived, not even when he came out of the womb, all right? And so Mary has this revelation. Gabriel's come to her. He's, he's explained all the things that will happen to her. The Holy Spirit has overshadowed her. And Mary goes to visit Elizabeth because she's been given a word that Elizabeth is pregnant. Okay? And I don't, I don't know if you can just imagine the scene here. Mary's walking in, and Elizabeth feels this baby jump for joy in her belly. Okay? And then she begins to almost say a prophetic word. How is it that, you know, the, the mother of my Lord has kind of come to visit me? That's what she says. Can I tell you, she would never have got there through theological college. She would have never, never got there through doctrine. Okay? But there was something about the baby that was inside her that recognized the Godhead that had walked into the room that was in the belly of Mary. Right? So I want to say to you that a baby in the womb probably can't work things out. A baby in the womb can't overanalyze things. A baby in the womb is just a baby in the womb. But the power of the Spirit, even upon a little baby, gives you the capacity to recognize who God is. Okay, so if we'd ever put endeavor into how do we pursue God, okay, as much as we study Scripture, we should make sure that we're also full of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see there's actually a theme that kind of runs through a lot of these encounters. So for Mary, the, what was her expectation? Oh, not Mary, Elizabeth. Okay, she'd already experienced the power of God. Okay. She was a woman who was barren for life. She, she had no expectation that she'd receive a child. And then her husband had this encounter with the angel while he was serving in the temple. And, and he kind of had a little bit of doubt in him, so he wasn't able to speak until John was born. All right? But I mean, here's a woman who thought, my lot in life, I'm never going to have a son. And she's pregnant. She knows the power of God. So her expectation is, God, if you can do this for me, nothing's impossible. Right? So she's open. I, I, I want to see, like, she's not closed. She's not boxed into a particular paradigm. She's in the place where I've encountered the miracle, life-giving power of God. And when I encounter him at, again at different points in my life, I recognize it. Okay? I'm not blocking it. So, so Elizabeth was a worshiper, and she worshiped in spirit and truth. Remember, Jesus said, the Father's looking for those who worship in spirit 
and in truth. If there was an edge or a dimension to what that means, maybe it's found in this verse where a little baby can leap in the womb apart from intellect, apart from training, apart from knowledge, just by the power and the relationship of what the Holy Spirit does for a human being. Isn't, isn't that encouraging? It doesn't depend on us as much as it depends on who he is. Right, so the second example that I wanted to use was the example of Joseph. You can find that in Matthew, um, verse 18 to 25. So Joseph was the husband-to-be of Mary, and I'm going to paraphrase because otherwise we'll run out of time if I read all the passages and Lynn always says, don't read all the passages, but please do read the passages, okay? Um, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. So this is the setting. Mary's found to be with child, okay? And there's a key line in that passage where it says that Joseph was a just man or a righteous man, and he sought to put her away secretly so that he didn't shame her. Okay, And then God comes to him in a dream. He says, no, this one is the one who will take away the sin of the world. All right? And so there's a certain posture or an expectation. Joseph wasn't running around looking for the Messiah. But if you look at the attitude of his heart, he was the one that was just inside. He was righteous inside. He didn't want Mary to see shame. He didn't want to, he, wanted, he was going to put her away secretly. He was going to do the honorable thing. And so there was something at work inside of him that was pleasing to God. Okay? And he was totally open to God because when he received the word, he didn't reject it as a bad dream. I had too much meat tonight to eat. You know? No, he had a revelation. He knew this was God. And he didn't just meditate on it for the next 10 years. He immediately acted upon it. He took Mary to be his wife. Jesus was born. And even when the angel warned them and they went to Egypt, he was obedient. So there was something about the posture of Joseph that was a great lesson to us as believers. You may not know exactly what the plans of God are in this particular point in time, but you are intricately woven into what God's plan is, and there's a part that each one of us play. So even as believers in Spartanburg, there's something that God wants to do. And I don't know how he's going to how you're going to encounter him? Joseph encountered him in a dream. But he took it seriously. And he did something with it. Okay? So maybe that's an encouragement to, to many of us. God knows what's in your heart. You know, he doesn't look really too much at what other people think of you. He kind of really understands the very essence of who you are. And if you are pursuing God and your, your heart is after God and you've got the kind of heart that is just into work righteousness, God's going to show up. God's going to use you. You're going to encounter Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? Okay. Then the third example I thought I'd share is um, the example of the shepherds. You can find that in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. All right. So I love the story of the shepherds, okay? So if you think of the shepherds, who are they? They are not the teachers of the law. They are not the Pharisees. They are not the educated or the learned among the people of Israel. Okay, remember the, the, the prologue for John? He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Who among his own people did not receive him? Okay? Those that had formed in their minds a picture of what God ought to do, 
that already boxed him in. He's got to be the Messiah that delivers us from Rome. Isn't that the picture they had? But the shepherds are the least of all the people. They're the ones that are out in the cold at the 45 degrees Fahrenheit at night. You know, like, yes, this is cold. How, what did I do to be a shepherd kind of thing, you know? But God shows up to them. The angels come and they say, man, we've got good news, great tidings. There's this peace between um, God and, and mankind. There's a way that he's been made that the Messiah has arrived. And actually, he's a baby boy, and you'll find him in Bethlehem in a manger. And they go and they encounter the Christ. So if you read the Beatitudes in, in Scripture, um, I think that's Matthew chapter 5, you'll see there are many blessings that come. But look to see who inherits the earth. Look to see who it is that will be rewarded according to the attitude of their heart. And you'll see that the shepherds qualify. All right? And so sometimes I think the greatest obstruction we have to encountering God is the fact that we're in the place of comfort, the place in, of no lack or no need. And, and, and in a sense, we almost are our own deliverer. But the shepherds were in the place where, man, it's really cold at night. I've got to look after sheep. There could be lions or whatever out there and bears and all the kinds of things that were in Israel in that day. They were in the place of danger. All right? But God saw fit to reveal it to the least amongst us. And I think when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Christmas, it's not about the great time I had with my family. It's not about like, how comfortable I am and how thankful I am that I'm blessed. And we ought to be thankful for these things. But are we looking to see the least amongst us? Because see, Jesus came for the least amongst us. And in fact, the revelation of who he is was made abundantly clear to them before others. And that ought to be a lesson to us to think that God loves the least amongst us to reveal himself to them. Okay, so and I think David often preaches about this, is like humility is one of those things that is attractive to God, okay? It says in the Word of God that God opposes the proud. Isn't that what it says? But it's something about humility that draws God to himself, okay? So he, he sees the humility in those that are genuinely humble, and he makes himself known to them. So I, find, I, I think it's amazing. I mean, imagine how many amongst us have encountered a whole horde of angels. Anyone? You haven't had a Christmas like that, right? Okay, no revelations like that. Okay. Right, so these shepherds, they encountered him. Then in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 40, we have the encounter of Simeon and Anna. Okay, so if you go to, you can read this for yourself. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 40. So let's deal with Simeon first. So Simeon, had a revelation. So it says he'd been told by God that he would not die until he saw the Christ. Okay, so what does that tell you about Simeon? That means he wasn't just some arbitrary prophetic eye wandering around. He was intimately connected with who God was. And in fact, God even um, decided to bless him by saying, you will not die until you see the Messiah. Okay? And then Simeon ends up coming to the temple because the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. And then if you read the passage, you'll see there's a whole lot of prophetic words that are released um, over Jesus. But Simeon gets to see the Messiah. Okay. 
Generations, man, for thousands of years, people are, we want to see, we want to see. Okay, Simeon gets to see. But he gets to see because he's connected to God. He's totally dependent on God. He's all about the kingdom of heaven. He's, he, he knows what God is wanting to do. Okay? Somewhere it's written, God doesn't do anything unless he reveals it to his prophets first. That's, that's almost alien to our culture. It's like, you know, if I don't just see it, it's just a scripture. So scripture is the framework. We never deviate from scripture. But are we in the place of encounter? Where the Holy Spirit is so real to us that when God tells us something, we know. And I've heard lots of testimonies from you where um, guys have heard things and they've gone and given food to someone or they've been led to witness to somebody. So we know what the unction of the Holy Spirit is like. But Simeon was kind of right there. So a couple of points about, about him. Um, what was his um, posture? I would say he was totally devoted to the Lord. So we all know the scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Then it says, um, all the law and the prophets hang on this. So I would say Simeon is one of those guys who loved the Lord with all his heart, all his mind, and all his strength. Okay, so, so there's a reward that comes with these things. The other thing is that he knew how to hear God. Okay, And if there's anything we can learn in Christmas these, these days, he's like... Um, is how to hear God. So I'm convinced the enemy has a strategy to swamp us with noise. If, you know, if I, if I look at, like, um, just, so I don't want to name any names, how to do this without dishonoring anybody. Okay, if I look at my life, and I look at how much time I spend on a cell phone, reading stuff, you know, whether it's Facebook or whatever, and then I come into a room where there are people, I don't see people speaking to people anymore, I see everybody communicating through a handle device. There's, there's like, we've abstracted relationship. Okay? And, and can I say that God will never settle for abstraction. He loves us so much, he, he wants intimate connection. Okay? That means no idols. That means no substitutes. And so, if there's a general, if Christmas says anything to me, it's like, did you get through Christmas Day without looking at your cell phone? Probably not. Imagine if cell phones were around when Jesus was born. I think a lot more people would have missed Jesus. Truth. So, so that's Simeon. What about Anna? So Anna, it says, was about 84 years old. Um, she was married for seven years, and then her husband died. And then she devoted herself through fasting and prayer in the temple. Okay? So I, I don't know many people like that. Do, do you know anybody that, like... I don't care what this world has to offer. I'm just going to devote myself to serving the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to intercede. And I'm just going to seek God's face. How many people do you know like that? Okay. She got to see Jesus. She got to hold Jesus. She got to encounter the word of God become flesh. She encountered Jesus. Jesus is coming again. And, and I, I guess the question is like, if so many people could have missed it when Jesus came the first time, is it possible that I could be like one of those unwise virgins that does not have enough oil for the end of the season? Because the Lord is coming. He may be delayed, but not delayed in the way we understand. It's like, how authentic is your pursuit of Him? 
How far are you prepared to go to find Jesus? Then the last example I want to share with you is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it's the account of the wise men. So you only find the account in the, the gospel of Matthew. You don't find it in any of the other gospels. But to me, they're intriguing. These are men who are called wise men. In some, some um, translations, kings from afar. Okay? They are not of Jewish descent. They have no connection with the promises of Israel. But there's something about their pursuit that allows them to see the plan of God. Okay? So they see a star. Can I say it's not Jupiter aligning with Saturn? Okay? It's not that kind of star. Don't, don't believe what you read in the newspapers or in the news media. Okay? The star moved until it rested above Bethlehem. Okay? Stars that we know don't behave like that. All right? Herod at the time, king as he was, wasn't interested in finding out who the Christ or the Messiah was. He was more interested in ensuring that his own reign survived any Messiah that could be coming. Okay? But these men were pursuing the one who was going to call the son of David, who would become the Messiah. And I'm thinking, like, they aren't immersed in the culture of Israel of the time. They've come from afar. They have journeyed. And I'm kind of wondering how many of us would be prepared to lay down the comfort of where we're at and journey to the place where God has called us to go so that we can encounter the manifest Christ. See, they went and they brought gifts. They were prepared. So they weren't just going to see, oh, we were there, got the t-shirt, was there also. They brought frankincense, myrrh, gold. They brought resources that were going to be needed for Jesus to flee to the far country of Egypt so that he could survive the purge that was coming where all the children under the age of two were killed. Okay? And then warned in a dream, they went back another way. They didn't go past um, Herod on their way back. And so, so I think about these men that came from afar. They saw a sign. They heard something. They saw something, and they found what they were looking for. My question to you today is, this Christmas, did you find what you were looking for? Did you encounter the Christ? Is he still alive in your life? Are you prepared to go to the ends of the earth to encounter him? To see his kingdom? He loves us, and he's made a way. And as I look at these examples, I'm thinking like none of them are the normal run-of-the-mill kind of encounters. Every one of them is special in their own way. And I believe God calls each one of you special. He wants to encounter you so that you know him as the Christ. And it's written very clearly in Scripture. Jesus says, unless I go to the Father, he will not send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will make known to you everything that belongs to me. And so the Lord has made a way for every one of us to encounter Jesus at deeper and deeper levels until he comes again. And so the year is 2020. Next year is 2021. If you take the lifespan of a man as being 70 years, that means 28 generations have passed from when Jesus was born until the time we're currently in. When is he coming? No man knows, but the Lord says he's coming soon, and every man should be ready. And so I guess it, it kind of seems counterintuitive 
But at Christmas, probably the greatest message is, are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready for him to come back? 28 generations ago, they weren't. And I'm trusting that we as a people will be. Can I ask you to stand as, we, as we're just praying to this and apply it? Yeah, Lord, even as we, as we stand here this morning, we are so aware, God, that it's easy to be distracted. Lord, that to encounter you doesn't just happen, but that we need to, we need to have a, a certain expectation that you can be encountered and that you do manifest and show yourself to those who obey your commands and love you. Wherever, Lord, we want it. We will travel the distance, Lord, to see your glory. And Lord, we are, in a sense, the least of all men. We want to be humble like those shepherds so that we can receive a revelation, that we can, in a sense, touch and feel the things of the kingdom. 
So Lord, I pray right now that you'd sweep away complacency, sweep away tiredness, refresh us as we head into 2021. Lord, that we would be light and salt in this earth. Spartanburg would see revival to the glory of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not Desperation, I turn to heaven, then spoke your name into the night, then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Oh 